Most of us will recognize the tabernacle of Moses and Solomon's temple, but very few talk about the tabernacle of David, which is actually a closer picture to what we see in Revelation 4 and the modern day worship movement. Even myself, even though I grew up with an affinity for David, the tabernacle wasn't necessarily something that would come to mind when I think about David. Today, Brian and I have a conversation with Matthew Lilly from Presence Pioneers podcast based out of North Carolina. He just wrote a book on the Tabernacle of David. We are very excited to have him on. You won't want to miss this conversation. I'm Johan, and this is the Burning Rooms podcast. Podcast. Burning Rooms is a bi-weekly podcast where we connect you with the prayer movement in Canada and beyond, where we have the conversations, share the stories to encourage you and strengthen your corporate and personal prayer life. A prayer movement podcast with a bit of personality. But before I introduce our guest today, I want to encourage you to share this podcast with people in your circles, maybe people in your church or friends or family, or who would enjoy it and benefit from it. Be sure to subscribe and follow wherever you might be listening. And you can visit our website at burningrooms.ca and find all our social media links, contact information, and how to join our Patreon. We would love to connect with our listeners and get to know who's actually listening to this podcast, get to know you a little bit better so you can connect with us there. Now to our guest, Matthew, welcome to the Burning Rooms podcast. It's great to be here. So it's great to have you on. I'm usually someone that listens to your voice, not just because you have your own podcast, but because I have the privilege of editing your podcast. That's right. It's been awesome because I get to hear all these awesome leaders that you interview and just being a part of it, I've ended up listening to it several times because I'm editing, going back and forth. So welcome yeah. to the podcast. Good to have you on today. Yeah, it's great talking with you, man. So thankful to work with you on our podcast, man. You've been a huge blessing to us. Well, before we get deep into our conversation, so why don't you just tell listeners a little bit about yourself, maybe share some projects or ministries that you're involved in? Sure, yeah. Like you said, I'm here in North Carolina, and I've been here my whole life and have been full-time prayer missionary for, what, 13 years or something like that, uh, which means I've been serving in some capacity with worship and prayer ministry full-time vocationally for that time. So I've been a worship leader since youth group, serve as an intercessor, of course, as a prayer missionary, and helped start a couple of small houses of prayer here in North Carolina over the years. And at the moment, uh, my ministry is called Presence Pioneers, which uh, was founded back in 2004. It's kind of an umbrella for all the different things that God's called me to do. But our mission is to connect, equip, and to plant presence-centered worship and prayer communities. And that takes on a number of different forms. Part of that is the podcast that you mentioned, uh, which I'm involved with. I'm also involved with a movement called Awaken the Dawn, uh, which is primarily here in the United States, an expression of day and night worship that involves tents, literal tent gatherings primarily that have happened, uh, day and night worship, prayer and outreach and evangelism. Uh, and God's done amazing things through that movement. And we have a leadership network that I oversee through the Awaken the Dawn movement. Previously, I've served with the Burn 
movement as well, I'm kind of in a national leadership role here in the United States there. But my heart is, is you know, unity in the body of Christ, especially in the prayer movement and among those who are passionate about the presence of God and worship and prayer and revival, those kinds of things. So that's a little bit of what I'm up to. I have a wife and four kids. My kids, I, they just came in and they're screaming. You might hear them in the background. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you're like, you're in the prayer movement, but you're also part of a local church and you said yeah. that part of your heart is to plant houses of prayer. How does how does that work being a part of a church, not necessarily the pastor of your church, but uh, running these ministries where you're planting houses of prayer, yet you're, yet you're still part of a local ministry? How does that work with your pastor and that relationship? Just curious about that. Yeah, that's a great question. Well, the first house of prayer we started was a parachurch, citywide effort. So we were very clear in trying not to be a local church or even have a local church within it, but... We had a neutral venue that we used and pulled people together. Then the last prayer room that we launched was actually in the context of a local church. So this was in the Raleigh-Durham area, and uh, our pastor actually approached me about it because he knew what I was involved with, and uh, helped. We, we launched a prayer room within the context of the local church. So it was a ministry of the church, but we had people from other churches that just came and visited when it was open during the week. And now um, we are... We just moved last year again back home, and I'm sort of in a conversation now with our current church and leadership about what prayer and worship might look like at our local church. But it's interesting, you know, for me, I've never wanted, I don't have like this drive to try to start a whole bunch of houses of prayer. For me, it's always just a response to the Lord as He speaks and leads and opens up doors. And I think for most houses of prayer, there's some kind of supernatural storyline, prophetic history that kind of leads to it. I think that's kind of a good way to follow it. So I'm kind of in the, the season right now where I'm actually in that discerning waiting mode for kind of that storyline to unfold again and waiting to see how how that unfolds. My, my wife, though, she would say that I have a standing invitation to start a house of prayer wherever I go. <laughs> but I like to wait and get that, you know, those dreams and visions and prophetic words and confirmations. Those things are really nice before you dive in to try to start pioneering and, and building something. But, you know, I, I do think that one of the things that God's doing in the prayer movement is he's blurring the lines between house of prayer and local church. And I think that's really cool to kind of get to the heart of your question is, is that what started kind of on maybe more on the fringe in the missions world, parachurch world. I think the body of Christ is now seeing those prayer people that are in houses of prayer outside of most local churches. And they're going, oh yeah, we should pray. <laughs> oh yeah, like we need the presence of God. Those are the people that God's sending to the nations. And they're the ones that are doing the evangelism because they've been in the presence of God and they're burning for him. And you know they're anointed and all this kind of thing. And so anyway, I think the church is awakening to the, the need for prayer. And Jesus said his house would be a house of prayer. And that's not a separate ministry from his church. That's the house, that's his house, the church that he's building. And so I think we're seeing the body of Christ embrace the values and the expression, some of the expression of what sort of the house of prayer movement has been operating in. And so the lines are blurring a little bit, which I think is kind of cool and actually a good thing. Yeah. Cause in the early days there, it felt like there was almost a bit of competition. It's like the house of prayer is coming right. on the scene. Uh, some churches felt threatened. And we actually just recently had a podcast about this very subject, uh, about one of our house of prayer people that he was a youth pastor at a church and he came back 
and we had a conversation about, okay, where, where do churches and house of prayer intersect? Like, what's the Lord doing there? And we are kind of feeling the same thing. Like he's starting to blur the lines and we have need for one another. And it seems like he's building in prayer into every church ministry. It's almost like the house of prayer has provoked the church to jealousy, to really be a praying right. church. And it's great. I love that. Yeah, I totally agree. I Just one other comment real quick. I just, I'm just praying for more church planters that carry the house of prayer DNA to plant local churches. Because I do think in some ways it's, in some ways it's easier to plant a parachurch prayer room than it is to actually have to plant a church where there's a sense of, of heavier responsibility and care for people, shepherding those people. So I, I do think that we're going to see church planters and church planting movements that are going to carry the the DNA and the values of the House of Prayer movement and actually plant local churches that are houses of prayer. And they're going to do that intentionally. I think we're going to see more of that. Yeah, I think you're hitting on, on such a key piece of, of bringing these two together because it feels like often in the prayer movement, we've we've hit that part about ministering to God. And so we've gotten that first commandment. But then the second commandment about loving people, the church tends to be really good at. And the Lord really wants those two commandments together in the right order, but he wants them to, together, right? And so I, I just feel like the closer we can get together, the the more actually the church and the prayer movement, as they actually start coming together, like I think they're supposed to, we're going to get both of those pieces in the right order. And sometimes the Lord almost swings a pendulum pretty far in one way, but it's to bring in an, an overall correction. And I, I think I feel like that pendulum is starting to swing back until we have both the first and second commandment, loving God and loving people. We have them both just in the right order. Amen. Yeah. So maybe tell us a bit, like, how did you end up getting into the prayer movement from the local church? Where in your life did you kind of make that transition? Great question. I, I share a little bit of, about this journey in my book, the David's Tabernacle book, where I was going to these conferences at a church called Morningstar in Charlotte, North Carolina. This is like early, mid-2000s. I'm in like my late teens, early 20s. And they're these wild, prophetic, creative. If you've listened to any of the old Morningstar worship albums, it's like Don Potter and Leonard Jones and Susie Uri. And it's just another world, which for me was brand new at the time, but eventually I loved it. And so we were going for these prophetic, worship times that really, in a sense, they carried the heart of the tabernacle of David because they valued God's presence and they were prophetic and creative and that kind of thing. But then a guy named Kirk Bennett and a group of like, I don't remember, 20, 30 IHOP KC missionaries came to Charlotte and planted a house of prayer, immediately went 24-7 because they brought enough missionaries with them to do it and family. And they landed on the same property as the Morningstar Church, which was this large property that they owned. And so we went to visit a, a conference, and then we found out that there was a 24-7 prayer room that had been started on the property. And we said, well, that's interesting and kind of weird, so let's go check it out. And I remember going into this meeting, and at first, you know, it was pretty chill. There was just a handful of people in the room. There was some prophetic artwork on the wall. But then they went into an intercession, what I now know is like an intercession set, and like the energy kind of picked up, they got a team and they said, we're going to pray for this group that's up in, I think it was Washington, D.C. And they're there. It was like a bound for life group or something. They're praying for the ending of abortion and they're doing this stuff in the legislation. We're going to pray for the ending of abortion. And they just like fired off into this really, you know, hardcore intercession for the ending of abortion. And then they started doing the whole harp and bowl model. They were singing and praying. 
And I, I like got swept up into it. I mean, it was like hour, hour and a half. And I'm like praying for these people. I don't even know for something I haven't really even thought about. And, you know, the, the set kind of comes to a, comes to an end and I go, wow, it's been like an hour and a half and I've been praying and I've liked it. This is, <laughs> what is this? This is so weird. And that was kind of my first introduction to harp and bowl and, and, and that kind of thing. And I said, well, this is interesting because what they were touching on was very much similar to what David was doing as well in the Tabernacle of David, because it was day and night. It was antiphonal. It was intercessory. And I was like, well, this is kind of touching on something too that's very Davidic as well. And so that was kind of my intro. And then I got a copy of Pete Gregg's book, Red Moon Rising as well, and, and heard about what was happening in the UK. And kind of, so between Z-Hop and Charlotte and Kirk Bennett, and then what was happening with 24-7 prayer in UK and Pete Gregg, that was kind of my doorway into the prayer movement. And so I've never looked back. That's interesting. Actually, my story kind of goes back to the same time, right before we were starting the House of Prayer, we were in Kansas City in Kirk Bennett's house, literally one or two days before he was moving down to Charlotte to launch the House of Prayer. So really? he prophe- yeah, he prophesied about our House of Prayer and what the Lord's going to do and gave us, like he's been integral in our whole journey, but this was literally days before he went to Charlotte. So kind of right around that same time frame, well, which is cool. really interesting. I just think that's cool. Yeah, Kirk Bennett, for, for me, was he was more influential than Mike Bickle was uh, because we weren't really connected to Kansas City a whole lot, but we were connected to Charlotte, and we would go visit. And I, I'd want to spend more time in the prayer room than I would at the conference sessions. You know, I'd sneak out of the big, loud, hundreds of people at the conferences, and I'd sneak away to the prayer room and and go hang out there. And I just devoured Kirk's teachings for a season. You know, just he had hundreds and hundreds of hours of teachings and listened to a lot of them. And so thankful for him and and especially like the things like the value for the priesthood and those kinds of ideas uh, were really stirred in my heart from Kirk. Uh, so what keeps you in the prayer movement? What causes you to give your time and energy to it and creating podcasts about it and talking about it? Somewhat cliche, but very true answer is that Jesus is worthy. <laughs> you know, to me, I don't think of think of it as being committed to the prayer movement, I think of it as just trying to be committed to Jesus, you know, and follow him and do what he's inviting me to do. And so I feel called and feel privileged and want to be able to spend long hours in his presence, worshiping him, being in the scripture, prayer in prayer and intercession. Uh, I enjoy it. I like it. <laughs> so that keeps, keeps me in there. You know, not that it's always just on cloud nine, but there's deep places of joy and and satisfaction that you get into with the Lord when you get to spend th- that time with Him. And so I enjoy it, and I feel called to it, and I believe it works <laughs> in terms of advancement for the kingdom of God, transformation of my own heart and life. And so I, I do have a bit of like kind of an apostolic inclination to want to see the kingdom of God advanced. And so I see both biblically and from just my experience in leading prayer ministries and houses of prayer, that it does have an impact. And so that's not like, even if it di- we didn't have an impact, we should still do it because, you know, he's worthy and we love him, but it also has an impact, which is, which is really cool. So yeah, that, I mean, I think that's probably the, the best I could do to answer that question. I'm just trying to follow Jesus, you know? Yeah. And it's not like you're, 
really excited about just one aspect of the prayer movement, like your podcast itself, you're bringing in various leaders from different streams kind of in the same movement, which is, which is quite unique. I know personally listening to the podcast, I have a much broader view now of, of this prayer movement, and I've come to appreciate it a whole lot more than I did even before editing your podcast. And it's mm. exciting. Uh, so with the amount of people that you've interviewed in these podcasts and different streams, do you think maybe you have a little bit of a pulse on the prayer movement and what's happening? You, you might mention it before with the church kind of becoming a praying church, but do you have a feeling where this thing is where this thing is going maybe in the next five years even? What does the prayer movement look like to you? Yeah, that's a great question. I think just real quick comment on your what you said about the podcast. I think it kind of goes back to my journey where for us, it was like we were in Morningstar in this prophetic worship, creative culture. Then we got a little taste of the House of Prayer, Kansas City vibe. Then we got some of this 24-7 prayer, like the UK movement in it too. So all those things kind of blended together in me and in our world. And so even when we started our first House of Prayer, we didn't call it something, something House of Prayer. It was called the Boiler Room because we just said, well, I don't know. We, we, we don't really necessarily want to associate with any of these. We kind of want all of them to blend together. And so I've always just, for some reason, appreciated that. And I think also just part of the calling on my life to try to bring some unity in different regards and bring people together and make connections. It reflects in that. So I, I do think part of what is happening is what I said earlier with the House of Prayer and the local church coming together. That's definitely a trend I see that I think is is really encouraging. Uh, ministries like Upper Room in Dallas, I think, are inspiring a lot of people with with a greater desire to minister to God and sort of pulling a broader audience in. I think a lot of it's related around worship, but I think the intercession part of it's going to come as well out of that. You know, Corey Russell's down in Dallas with the Upper Room, and I think he's really pushing them to to engage more deeply in intentional intercession. And so I think that's going to hopefully infiltrate kind of through upper rooms, infiltrates the wrong word, uh, but to flow down through upper rooms influence to those that are, that are tracking with them. So I just use them as an example of what, of what I see with that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's, that's one of the biggest trends. It seems like, you know, the house of prayer movement has slowed down you know, if you just look at how many houses of prayer there are, how many staff seem to be in a lot of these ministries, that kind of thing. So it does seem like it's slowed down. I think some of that is true, but I think part of it is that, like I said, it's blurring into these other ministries. And there's people that have been in the house of prayer world and now they're pastors and maybe they're they're doing five or six prayer meetings in their church every week, but you can't find them if you type in house of prayer in Google, because it's just so-and-so church with a hundred people and they're doing prayer meetings all the time. And so it's harder to track. I think part of what's happening is it's harder to keep track with the quote unquote prayer movement or even the house of prayer movement, which is not necessarily a bad thing. <laughs> Cause like I said, God's desire is that, is that we would be a, a house of prayer for all nations. And so uh, the other thing I think that's happening and that needs to happen is a, is a shift in leadership. I think there's a new uh, wave of young leaders emerging. And by young, I mean like y younger than Mike Bickle. <laughs> those, in their, those in their 30s and 40s who are, I think, stepping into the role of fathers and mothers in the prayer movement right now, even 50s maybe. But 
some of those who had pioneered in the decades past, I think are shifting more to kind of grandfather, grandmother roles. And I think some of those who were in their 20s when all this was kicking off around the turn of the century, those folks are now, God's saying, you're called to be fathers and mothers in this thing and raise up the next generation. We need another wave of young people that are discipled in this thing. So I think part of what a lot of leaders that are like my age and, and your age that are they're now going, how do we see this DNA imparted to the next generation? How do we make disciples in this in this thing so that it's multiplied and the next generation carries us on? How do my kids do this, you know, and that kind of thing? So that's a, another trend I'm seeing, or at least something I, I kind of feel brewing under the surface is a new sort of crop of leaders. And maybe it's, I don't think it's going to be quite as centralized in Kansas City. I think it's going to be more spread out. You're going to have a number of people kind of, you know, you're going to have the Corey Russell in Texas and the Billy Humphrey in Atlanta and the David Bradshaw in Virginia. And you're going to have, you know, 20 other guys and girls who are going to be emerging as these this new uh, group of leaders. And then you're going to have hopefully thousands that come up out of that, you know, an emerging generation, Gen Z and Young, young people that get discipled in this. And I think we've got, at least I think that's what God wants <laughs> to happen. And so I'm speaking it out, you know, like it's, it, I, I believe that there's potential for that to happen. And so that's the other cool thing I see, but I, I think it's also sort of an invitation from God, like, Hey, just, you know, those of us that are like older, how do we, how do we really make disciples in this? So. So if prayers shifting to the churches uh, to see a praying church, uh, which is awesome. I love the vision that you shared there, even. What's the place for the house of prayer, like standalone houses of prayer, parachurches? Do they still have a place in the future, or is it all going to be shifting to the local church? That's a great question. No, I, I think it's always going to be both and. I think it's I think it's going to be good. I mean, you're going to still want you're going to still want citywide, regionwide places and ministries and that kind of thing. I think Brian talked about the pendulum swinging one way or another. So you don't want to swing it too far in the other direction either. Uh, I do think there's people that are called to do it full time. You're still going to need that missions world. Um, who was it? The guy, Ralph Winter, I think is his name. He wrote this paper years ago about, he called it the two structures of God's redemptive mission or something like that. And he talked about the missions world and the local church world and how they need each other and how even with Paul when he got launched out, God always kind of has these missionary bands, these groups that are kind of on the edge that kind of, you have what's what's established, but then you have these groups that kind of get launched outside of the institution <laughs> and they kind of step out and they kind of provoke the body of Christ like the House of Prayer Movement has. So God's going to keep pulling these groups out. In the Middle Ages, you had the monasteries, right? So you had like the the main churches and then you had, God had these monasteries and you had these monks that were kind of radical in their devotion to God. So I think you're going to continue to always have those kinds of groups, whether you call them monasteries or parachurch or missions groups or houses of prayer or whatever. I think you're always going to have those groups that God calls out kind of to the fringes and uh, help pioneer things and help reform the church and help take the gospel to new places and that kind of thing. So I think you're going to still have both of those for sure. Yeah, we like to call them greenhouses, even houses of prayer, right? Yep. And places that are focused on ministry to the Lord, where churches, they it's good if they have focus to the ministry of the Lord, but they also have to minister to people. So, yeah, yep. I totally agree with you there. Brian, I think you had a question, too, about the tents. Yes, I do. 
Yeah, I was I was fascinated actually, just even in reading through your book. I mean, a bunch of things fascinated me. But one of the things that I just thought was really worth asking is, what is the Lord doing right now with tents and why tents? I, I mean, I have some prophetic stories behind it where the Lord just started highlighting to me like two or three years ago. And then I start, you know, listening to your podcast a little bit and finding out, oh yeah, the Lord's been highlighting this to people for a number of years. It's really moving in the in the States. I feel like there's something for Canada in it too, but I would love just to hear you speak to that. Yeah. Keeping in mind that Brian was literally a tent maker at one point. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I made quonsets, yeah, canvas covered buildings. That's really cool. Yeah. Well, that's probably prophetic or something, right? So <laughs> um, what is God doing with tents? Well, real quick backstory for us in North Carolina, there was a tent that a guy, a buddy of mine had down in Wilmington called the Jesus Tent. And so we started 2014, I think it was, the first time we set that up for 50 hours of day and night worship, prayer, and outreach. And we we set that up primarily in North Carolina a number of times from probably 2014 to 2017, something like that. And we saw, sometimes it was like, 10 days or two weeks where we would have nonstop worship in a tent, usually in a low income part of a town. Uh, We would give away food, you know, have teams that go out into neighborhoods and just pray for people and share the gospel. And then the worship and prayer would just continue. We'd invite people to the tent. Hey, come on over to the tent, experience the presence of God. So it was like this collision of, you know, the hustle and bustle of a neighborhood and like a house of prayer out in public, basically. Uh, happening at the same time. So it was really wild, but God did so much cool stuff in those in those settings where people would encounter the presence of God. And so that was kind of a glimpse of what could happen in a tent to me when you establish, especially a day and night worship tent, and then couple that with with, you know, kind of this public expression of ministry to people, this really cool. And so we experienced that. And then of course David's tent DC in our nation's capital here, uh, I think it was 2015, I think it was when they went 24-7. And so they've been 24-7 in a literal tent (laughs) now for uh, over five years, which is just incredible. So they, you know, have sustained with worship teams coming from all over the nation to help them do that, as well as a small core team of YWAM missionaries there. So, so you had kind of stuff brewing in North Carolina. You had David's Tent, D.C., which started inspiring things. And then you have the Wake in the Dawn movement, which I'm a part of, where it started on the National Mall in 2017, where we had 50 tents set up at the same time, <laughs> representing our 50 states. And they all had unplugged worship and prayer with worship leaders and intercessors from their states filling all the tents at the same time for three days. And that was incredible. Uh, I mean, it was, you know, 20,000 people or something on the National Mall for three days. It was, it was incredible. And then that launched into now sort of this grassroots tent movement through Awake of the Dawn, where there's been at times 400 tents at one time set up all over the country doing the same thing. So yeah, something's happening with tents, (laughs) which is cool. I think, you know, me personally, I don't, I don't enjoy being outdoors for the worship. <laughs> I, I would much prefer to be in air conditioning or heat and uh, have, you know, more comfortable seating and not have the bugs and whatever. But, you know, the Lord has chosen to have people gather in tents. And I think it, it's a couple of things. Number one, I think that it's 
a prophetic picture of what he's doing in restoring the tabernacle of David, the tent of David. And so I do think he's highlighting that truth and some of the truths I outlined in my book about uh, what David was doing and his desire to open up access to his presence through Jesus Christ. So it's it's just a, a visible invitation to the world to come into the presence of God, to come in and experience him by the blood of Jesus. Uh, so I think it's that. I think it's God inviting the prayer movement to get out of the room and get out into public places and interact with the lost. And so there's something about a tent that's very, you know, great for outreach and evangelism. I think God God loves people, man. He wants to reach people and he wants to, you know, bring the lost home. And so he's sort of kicking us, some of us kicking us out into the streets and into parks and onto college campuses. And he's he's saying, set up, do what you do, minister to me, host my presence, but then invite the lost to come in as well and just show, show my love to people, pray for people, you know, feed people, share the gospel with people. And God does amazing things. I mean, his, his kingdom is powerful. And when we invite his presence, man, things happen uh, that are really cool. So I, I, I don't know, in my mind, there's those, I think there's those two. And then maybe the third I would add is it helps facilitate unity in churches where you get out of a, you know, this building belongs to this ministry or this church or this organization, you get out in public and it's a tent and it's a little easier to come together. Those are the, those are the three main things I've seen is like unity, you know, it makes it easy to do outreach. And then number three, I think it points to some of those spiritual truths uh, connected to David's tabernacle and the gospel. Oh man, I, I just love that and uh, really appreciate you sharing that. I think Probably for some of our listeners who are listening to that, I'm just giving you a heads up. For some of you, not all of you, but for some of you, the Lord is, is actually really going to highlight tent ministry. And so I, I just think you need to come back and probably you'll need to re-listen to what Matthew just said in the future. So I'm just giving you a heads up right now, because honestly, a few years ago, when I first heard about some ministries doing some stuff in tents, I think one of my first thoughts was, well, that's kind of a cool 50s model, like from the 1950s. Like, that's not kind of my thing. And in the next, like the very, I think it was maybe even the very next morning, I was in an early morning prayer meeting and found myself praying at the top of my lungs, Lord, release the tents, kind of just like totally caught me off guard and like, okay, well, I guess this is the way it's going. And so the Lord really changed my mind on that in a hurry. And so, yeah, I, I'm just so fascinated by seeing what he's doing in America, because I really do believe that it's coming to Canada in a greater way. And there's a word over Canada Man. that Jill Austin gave around 2004 about tents that involved priestly worship and the miraculous, all these different things, evangelism, all of it. But priestly worship was at the center of it. And so I still believe strongly that word is coming for our nation. So really thank you for, uh, for highlighting those things for us. Amen. That, that word's been an encouragement to us in America. I actually didn't know that that was a word for Canada, but I'd heard some people talk about the tents of glory from Jill Austin before. So we've, cl we've claimed it, but you guys can step, <laughs> need to step into that in Canada too. That's awesome. And it's quite possible she prophesied it over both nations. The version I've heard was given at the Prince George House of Prayer in 2004. But I mean, okay. she might have well given, because I think, the, well, it's, it's obvious that the Lord's doing it all over the place. And I definitely see America right. taking the lead in this. So we're, we're, it's an area where I would be glad to ride on the coattails of what the Lord is establishing and building in the United States. And there's probably less, uh, less heat you have to worry about in tents up here. So Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Talking about tents... Uh, what about David's fallen tent? You wrote a book about it. 
Yes. You, you want to tell us a little bit about uh, David's Tabernacle, how God's presence changes everything? What Maybe what's the premise of the book? What's it about? Uh, Brian mentioned there's probably some listeners that their hearts are stirred up when you're talking about these tents and the Lord wants to establish it. This book is probably for them. Uh, but what's it, it about? I, I read through it. I, it definitely is. <laughs> I'm just saying that. <laughs> yeah. So the premise is that God's presence changes everything, <laughs> which is the subtitle of the book. There's kind of a couple of parallel tracks in the book. One is my personal journey and how I've experienced God's presence changing everything. My original camp encounter that I had when I was 18, some other encounters I've had, encounter at Z-Hop that I shared about. And so it's my journey of experiencing how God's presence changes everything in my life and in my ministry. But then it's also about David and how when David prioritized his presence of God, in Jerusalem for 33 years by establishing his tent of day and night worship, hosting the presence of God there, that it had impact into the kingdom of Israel. And ultimately it had impact that would ripple into generations to come and pointed to Jesus and the kingdom of God. And so it's how God's presence changes everything in David's day. It's in my life, but it's also what's happening right now. And some of the things we're talking about right now, whereas people are carrying that spirit of the tabernacle of David in their lives and in their ministries, and they're prioritizing the presence of God, and they're learning to be a, a royal priesthood, learning to minister to the Lord, uh, learning to worship and pray, and then go out uh, from the place of his presence to carry uh, his presence to the nations, uh, that, that that is God's presence changing everything in our day. So it's kind of those parallel tracks all together, and it's the story of David and his tabernacle uh, like you said at the beginning, it's really not very common. I mean, in the prayer movement, we talk about it more than in the body of Christ at large. But even so, in the prayer movement, uh, in my experience, there's not a lot of people who have really taken a lot of time to look at what was happening, looking through First Chronicles, looking through the book of Psalms in an in-depth way to understand what was happening and therefore the implications of the restoration of that tent and you know, the prophetic word given to Mike Bickle in 1983, which was that God was going to establish 24-7 prayer in the spirit of the tabernacle of David. I mean, we're riding on the waves of that word that was spoken. Uh, we should know what the tabernacle of David was if we're going to do something in the spirit of it, right? So yeah. that's 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 why I wrote that book. It's, I mean, for people that are in the prayer movement, worship leaders, intercessors, missionaries, pastors, it's like must-have, in my opinion. But then you know, anybody that's passionate about the Lord wants to experience more of his presence, wants to see heaven come to earth. Anybody that wants to be a part of God's purposes in our generation uh, would, would also glean from it a lot as well. So when you're prompted to write the book, uh, like I know for, for myself, when, when I wrote my book, it wasn't necessarily because I had something to say on the topic, like I was an expert or anything. Uh, it was more out of obedience. The Lord said, this is your life message. You're living it out write a book on it, whether it's to strengthen it for yourself, to be able to communicate to others more effectively, or just to share this message, whatever it is, I just did it out of obedience. I know David's tabernacle is kind of your life message. Like this is something you've really grabbed a hold of and kind of built your ministry around it. Uh, I don't know if you've always had an inkling to write a book. Uh, what prompted you to actually write, like put words to paper? That's a great question. Uh, I've had a couple people such as my parents and my wife who've been encouraging me to write a book for a long time. Uh, I haven't necessarily felt like it was the right time, although I did 
have a sense that I probably would one day. Like you said, David's Tabernacle for me is a subject that the Lord has constantly been drawing me into little by little. When I was called into ministry initially at a you know summer camp encounter I had right after graduating high school, God told me that I was going to be like David. My middle name is David, so Matthew David Lilly. So David has always kind of been, it's a family name. My son's middle name's David. My you know grandfather's middle name's David. So David has kind of been in my world for a while. And then if you're going to be a worship leader, you kind of end up looking at David. And so David has always been an inspiration. But then as I began to look at David, I began to realize uh, what was burning in his heart was a dwelling place for the presence of God. So it drew me into this narrative and the story of David's tabernacle. And every time I began to look into it in the scriptures, if I heard somebody talk about it, it was just like burning in my heart. And so it's been something I've spent years off and on in certain seasons really intensely and in others less so, looking at, studying, trying to understand what it means, find resources about it, try to practice it, you know, live it out. And and so it's it's been sitting there for brewing for a long time, but then last year, uh, had the sense that uh, maybe it was time to really, really put pen to paper. And then I got a couple of prophetic words within like a week or two about, you know, needing to write. And it was actually very, it was some very specific terminology that both prophetic words used that that was just so, it was so bizarre that it was like, okay, this is obviously the Lord speaking. And so, yeah, after just seeking some counsel on it, decided to block out some time at the beginning of the year and uh, and and let it rip. And so here it is. <laughs> so I know like when you're putting pen to paper, uh, quite often the message gets written on your heart than when you express it a different way. Like you could be brewing over something, thinking on these things, studying them. But when you actually set out to write a book or when you set out to sing it or something, it, it does something a little bit differently. Are there any points in writing this book that you felt the Lord breathing on a a specific topic or was there a moment in the book where you just felt him saying, like you kind of just felt in your spirit, like, yes, kind of the Lord breathing on something. Like what's that big message in there that you encountered the Lord in probably several things, but. Yeah, that's great. Uh, yeah. A lot of it was already in there. So I was, it was just a matter of getting it out, but there were, there were definitely certain times I was writing uh, that I felt uh, strongly the Lord's heart on it. When I was writing about Psalm 132, uh, which is kind of a, a key verse for my life about David's desire for a resting place and a dwelling place, uh, specifically that God had chosen Zion uh, as his resting place for that's where he desired it. It says, you know, the desire of God, that God desires Zion for a resting place is like, oh my gosh, the desire of God. Uh, what does that even mean? Like the creator of the universe wants something like, what is the intensity of that longing <laughs> in his heart if he desires it? So I would say that, and you know, my my ministry is called Presence Pioneers, really because of Psalm 132. And so, I I, I think for me, I feel like that message, and, and I have a chapter called "A Place for God," where I talk about that desire David had for a dwelling place and God's desire for Presence Pioneers who would carry that same longing. So that's always burning in my heart. Every time I kind of touch that, I feel that. I was surprised by as I began to to get into this, the story of David and Saul and Samuel, and that was kind of the area that I felt like was new as I was writing the book a little bit, where uh, I hadn't necessarily talked about it or studied about it as much. 
But as I began to touch it, I really felt the Lord giving me revelation on it. And uh, I'm really glad that that made it into the book. So that just the contrast between Saul and David and their leadership. And I, I actually believe that Saul was possibly given an invitation to establish the tabernacle like David was, but that he didn't steward it properly. And, and he was not a man after God's own heart. And so the Lord said, you know, you're not, you're going to lose the kingdom, but I'm going to find a man after God's own heart. And he found David. And, and then David was given that same invitation, I believe, to, to really to invite God to be the king, to invite God's presence, to invite his leadership into the nation of Israel. So even though they had a man-made king, God's saying, I've got to be the king. <laughs> I'm the king of Israel. David said, I'm going to enthrone you. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to bow down to you. Even though I'm the king, I'm going to submit to you and I'm going to obey you, Lord. And that was the man after God's own heart. And David became king and his tabernacle was an expression of his desire to enthrone God over their nation because he said that God's enthroned in praises. And so that was the chapter that I wrote about David and Saul and Samuel was, uh, was of a chapter that you know came out of encounters that kind of happened as I'm looking at the scripture, prepping for the book, like literally earlier this year, you know, this is, I knew some of these stories, but God began to just show them to me in a new light. And so I was kind of surprised by that, but I think it's timely uh, for, for the season that we're in. And so those are, those are the two things that kind of stick out to me is Psalm 132. And then some of the, the storyline with Samuel and David. It's awesome. Brian, did you have any question you want to ask? One thing I just thought, I i don't know if we've actually discussed it yet, but but I'm sure we have a few listeners who are wondering, okay, we've talked about the Tabernacle of David a fair amount, but what actually is it? And why yeah. why is the Lord highlighting it in this generation? Yeah, thank you for asking that. That's a good, important question. Yeah, so David's Tabernacle was a historic tent in Israel, in Jerusalem. So there was the t- Tabernacle of Moses that God instructed Moses to give the directions for the Israelites to build the house, the Ark of the Covenant, which was the dwelling place, the resting place of God's glory and presence in the nation of Israel. And then once they got to Jerusalem, they would end up establishing the temple, the permanent temple there, which was actually David's son Solomon. But there was this little window in between for 33 years, which was how long Jesus was on the earth, by the way, which is very interesting. So 33 years that David reigned in Jerusalem. During that era, David set up a new tent, a third place, and took the Ark of the Covenant and set it in this tent in Jerusalem. What's interesting, meanwhile, Moses' tabernacle is still set up in another town, in the town of Gibeon. And so all of the furniture, all of the, you know, the original belongings for the tabernacle are there in Gibeon, while David's got a brand new tent with the Ark in Jerusalem. And David, rather than having the burnt offerings and the sacrifices of the law there at the tent in Jerusalem, he establishes the Levites to minister to God with song, with sacrifices of praise. They stand there before the ark of God and they sing, they prophesy, they give thanks, they worship day and night for 33 years. And as they do that, the presence of God blesses their nation and it says that David administered justice. They have all 12 tribes together in unity during this era. So it's a time of unity. It's a time of justice. It's a time of victory. There were some challenges. David had challenges in his life for sure. But this was like the glory days of Israel. I mean, 
any commentator will say David's reign was the high point of Israel's history. You know, everything after that kind of looks back at David's era. And in fact, all of the revivals throughout Israel's history, they would go back and reinstitute what Davidic worship, the worship the way David did it, where they would establish the Levites again to be before the Lord, to worship him day and night. They'd get the instruments back and they would begin to worship, pray, prophesy day and night all throughout Israel's history. So that's what the tabernacle of David was. It was quite an ordeal and it had quite an impact on uh, Israel's history. It's amazing. We're talking about instruments, prophecy, revival, ministry to the Lord, all kind of related to the tabernacle of David. And it's cool that scripture, like in Amos, it says he's going to rebuild David's fallen tent. And I think in Jeremiah, it says, he will give us shepherds after our own heart. So he's going to raise up more Davids to establish this thing. So it's it's kind of exciting that this is kind of what the Lord is, like there's a storyline going on here. And we're going to see this really established in the earth. And that's exciting to see all these things kind of coming together. So I'm really excited to, I mean, I got to look at your book, unedited copy, but I'm pretty excited to read through the whole thing. And I'm sure there's a lot more for our listeners to get into as well. Yeah. And we will definitely be uh, putting that link out for all of our listeners once that book comes out. I just have to say too, after reading through it, I just, I just love the book, Matthew. Like I, I so, I was moved. There's several points you. in your story. I mean, that that 622 gathering you talk about and then this youth worship movement and there's deliverance and worship and just extravagant praise. I mean, my heart was getting moved in the midst of some of those stories. And so I, I love that aspect of it, but it's so clear as well reading this. And I think one of the things for me that sets this book apart is it was really obvious to me that, that you would put in the theological legwork, like all of the, the digging to really give some just solid some solid biblical and theological teaching in the midst of moving stories. And so the way you wove those things together, I actually thought was, was pretty brilliant. This isn't a book for, of proof texting. This is a book where you've done the work and, and address even some of the, the issues, the way you addressed Amos 9-11 and some of the different perspectives on it and, and brought it together. Um, I, I, just, I was reading, I was just wondering, how is, this, how is he going to handle that part? How is he going to handle that part? And I read it and I'm just like, oh, this is so good. Like, I, I just love the way that you handled scripture in the midst of it. And so, wow. again, I would highly recommend this book after reading through it. It's, it's, I sort of felt like, okay, I, I can't wait to, I actually need to read this again because I was trying to read through it in time for, for this interview, but it's like, there's yeah. some things in there that just really made me think. And if we had another two hours, I would be asking those questions, but we don't. But just let the, the readers understand or the listeners understand, this is a great book. And so... Yeah, I, I just I just highly, highly recommend it. And so again, we'll let you guys know um, when that book comes out so that you guys can can purchase it as well. And this is coming from Brian Neistater, who reads commentaries for fun and some high quality <laughs> academic works. So that's high praise coming from you. So thank you so much, Brian. Uh, so where can people actually get your book? Yeah, I'll, it'll be available at all of the online stores pretty much. You know, Amazon is the obvious one, but it's going to be on Barnes and Noble and uh, ChristianBook.com and and pretty much pretty much any of those websites are going to be the easiest place for people to find it. May 18th is the official release day. It'll go for sale a couple of weeks before that if people want to uh, do it, do a pre-sale as well. And where can people connect with you and your ministries? Sure. Yeah, uh, we're going to have a website for the book at DavidsTabernacle.com, so people can just go there. 
and uh, and that'll actually have all the links to the book for sale and different ways to connect with me and that kind of thing uh, on that site. So I, I'm not going to throw out a whole lot of different URLs, but if you can just remember davidstabernacle.com, that'll redirect you to everywhere that you need. We'll throw some of the links in the show notes as well so they can find sure. your podcast and and your other ministry for sure. I'm I'm surprised you got that URL. That's impressive. Like <laughs> Well, there were there were a couple others, you know, tabernacleofdavid.com was taken. David's Tabernacle was was not taken. And so that's actually <laughs> one I mean, not the only reason I named the book that, but I wanted there's already a book called Tabernacle of David by Kevin Connor from like the 1970s. And so I was like, I want to call it something, you know, just rearrange the wording a little bit so that it's unique. So. Yeah, I got that Kevin Connor book too. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure there's listeners. I know my heart is resonating with a lot of what you're saying. Uh, maybe you could just pray for some of our listeners. Maybe they don't even understand why they're resonating with some of these things. So they just need the Lord to kind of breathe on those things. Just pray for us. And, and I think that'd be awesome. Yeah. Well, Lord, thank you for those who are tuning in to the Burning Rooms podcast. I pray that their hearts would burn within them, Lord. Uh, I think that was the original prophetic word, that there would be burning hearts and burning rooms. So Holy Spirit, would you just cause their hearts to burn within them as you open up the Word of God to their hearts? Uh, even I pray you'd use this episode to uh, provoke their hearts, to dive into your Word in a deeper way, and to understand who you are, what you're doing, what your kingdom's like. Jesus, you said, seek first the kingdom of God. And, and I just feel, feel stirred that there's an invitation to some people who are listening to seek the kingdom of God. God, what is your kingdom? What is it you're like? What are you going to do? What have you done? And, uh, and Lord, I pray that you would uh, cause our hearts to be like David, that they would be tender before you, that they'd be humble before you, but they would also be burning and uh, full of hunger and desire for your presence and your kingdom to come on the earth as it is in heaven. And uh, Lord, I just pray you'd fill Canada also with tents of day and night worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Matthew. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the Burning Rooms podcast. You can Again, you can find all of the links in the show notes. Uh, visit us at burningrooms.ca. Until next time, my name is Johan. I'm Brian. I'm Matthew. What do I say after that? I forgot. <laughs> and this is the Burning Room Squad. Right. It's been so long since we've been together, man. Uh, and this is and this has been the Burning Rooms podcast. I'll just say it there. <laughs>